The title of the message this morning is Under the Curse Dash Until. And that title will make sense as the study unfolds this morning. Let's go to where Paul was reading for us earlier in chapter 27, 29. When they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And then they spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. Then when they had mocked him, they took the robe off of him and put his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. When Jesus uh, began his ministry in the Gospel of John, the first miracle was turning the water into wine. And the wine had run out and Mary knew that the Lord had the ability to do something about it. And so she approached him, and the Lord uh, said to her, my hour has not yet come. Now that phrase, my hour has not yet come, appears seven times in the Gospel of John. As we read these verses here, his hour has now come. And what's about to happen, as it says he was led away to be crucified, has to happen. If you just turn back one page to chapter 26, one of the things that I've been trying to point out consistently as we go through the Bible is the Bible is a book of prophecy. And if you look at Matthew 26, verse 54, talking about the disciples betraying him and then fleeing, we read in verse 54, um, he's telling Peter that Peter, put away your sword. I don't need your help. I could pray right now and the Father would send 12 legions of angels, which is roughly 12,000 angels. And then he says, how then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? In other words, what happened with, if you go down to verse 56, another prophecy. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. If you go back to verse 31, when they were saying they would never deny him, uh, in verse 31, all of them, he told the disciples, you're gonna be made to stumble tonight because of me this night, for it is written. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. So what we just read here, if you go back to our text, his hour had come. And it has to happen exactly as the scripture says. And so we have just in this chapter 26 at least three Old Testament um, prophecies being fulfilled. And now when it comes to the beating um, that the Lord receives... I don't think we can really grasp the brutality of the Roman legions. And here, um, they were mocking him flat out. You're the king of the Jews. So they make, if you're the king, then you need a crown. So with sarcasm, they make a crown of thorns and they place it upon Jesus' head. Then they blindfold him. And with the Blindfold on, um, they began to mock him and spat on him and struck him. And um, 
mocking them, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Um, The soldiers took this opportunity to have their fun with him before he was crucified. Since he was going to die anyway, they could mutilate him, do anything they wished with him. They played a, a cruel Roman game known as hot hand with their prisoners. All the soldiers would show the prisoner their fists like this. Then they would blindfold the prisoner and one by one, they would hit him as hard as they could. Then they would remove the blindfold and if the prisoner was still conscious, he was to guess which soldier did not hit him. Obviously the prisoner could never guess the right one and they uh, would continue this until they had beaten the prisoner literally to a pulp. I believe the Lord Jesus was so mutilated that you would not have recognized him. Certainly, we don't know why Mary didn't recognize him, Resurrection Sunday. In the afternoon, he appeared to Cleopas and his buddy. They didn't know who he was, not until he prayed at supper time, and then he disappeared, then he knew it was the Lord. Um... When he met the disciples in uh, the Galilee, and he's asking them how the fishing went for the night, and they said, no, we haven't caught a thing. Try throwing the net over on the other side. It's the dumbest thing you ever want to hear. But immediately the net was full, and they said, it's, it's the Lord. John said that to Peter. Peter dives in, and then it says, They knew it was the Lord, but none dared ask him if it was him. So again, it raises the question, was the Lord purposely concealing his identity? He could have done so, he's God. Or was he still bearing the the marks? He had a beard uh, before the crucifixion. He didn't have one afterwards because they ripped it out. Any guys (laughs) that have beards know what's that like when a little baby just grabs it and pulls on it. That hurts. But to have it ripped out, that would disfigure a person. I like watching a good fight every once in a while. And uh, you you see the guys in there, they're bobbing and weaving and and, um, doing the rope-a-dope or whatever. And when a punch comes, you can can sort of duck and get a glancing blow. Um, But not this case, not when you're blindfolded. And if these guys were as brutal as what I believe they were, it's going to die anyway, so let's just, just mutilate them the best we can. So Jesus could not do one of these. He got, he got every one of those punches at full force. And in Isaiah, um, if you're taking notes, 52, I'm going to quote this twice this morning um, because I don't want to minimize the brutality that Jesus went through before he went to the cross. It says in Isaiah 52, 14, as many as were astonished at thee, his vestige was so marred more than any man and his form more than a son of man. Now I actually take that literally. I believe that Jesus was beaten more cruelly and was disfigured so much, just like Isaiah said, more than any man. This morning... I would like to look at the curse placed upon Satan, woman, man, the earth, 
and yes, even the Lord himself. Thus the title, Under the Curse, Dash, Until. So with that much of an introduction, can I have you turn back to where the curse was first presented? Back in Genesis, chapter three, God created Adam and Eve with the desire to have fellowship with him. They were used to, Adam was used to walking with the Lord in the cool of the night, having fellowship with him. They had access to everything in the garden, except for one tree, which was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the Lord says, the day that you eat of that tree, you will surely die. To love God, he wants his love to be freely given and freely received. So he creates an alternative to test their love. Will they be obedient to him? Will they love him enough to do what he says to do, even under temptation? So we're introduced to Lucifer, who's called the serpent in verse 1. And he challenges God's word. And he says, has God said that you will die? You will not surely die. God knows that the day that you eat of the tree of good of knowledge that you're going to be just like him. Well, Eve was by herself. And she was beguiled, seduced, if you will, by Lucifer. And when she saw that it was um, a tree that... um, was good for food, it was pleasant to the eyes, and the desire to make one wise. Satan never changes his temptations. The lust of the flesh, the, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He just changes the temptations, but this has been his method of operation, his MO, from the very, very beginning. So we know that when, he, when Adam saw Eve, he knew something had happened. I personally believe that they were clothed literally in light. And when that glory that was on Eve, that clothed her, I believe it was gone. And um, Adam ate of that fruit. But he did it knowingly. He did it with his eyes wide open. In the New Testament, we're told that Adam is a type of Christ. And you ask yourself, well, how could Adam be a type of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, Adam willingly knew he was going to die because he did not like the thought of living forever without having Eve with him. Jesus, the father, allowed the son to die on Calvary's cross because he couldn't handle the thought of you and I. I keep telling everybody over and over again how valuable you are, and you are because you are one of a kind. There's only one of you. And because of we place value on rarity, and if there's only one of you, that makes you very, very priceless and very, very precious in the eyes of the Lord. How was Adam a type of Jesus, and how was Jesus a type of Adam? Jesus went to the cross with his eyes wide open. Didn't he say, I have power to lay my life down? I have power to raise it up again. And um, greater love has no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for a friend. And that's what Jesus did for you and me. And um, as we see now the consequences for sin infecting every 
person that has ever been born since Adam and Eve, without exception. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Somebody want to give me an amen or not? What does the word all mean? (laughs) All. All means all. And so we're all in the same world, fallen. And yet, here, we're now going to look at the consequences and the curse. First of all, let's look at verse 14 on the serpent. Evidently, the serpent had arms and legs at one time. Um, In verse 14, so the Lord said to serpent, because he seduced Eve, he says, because you have done this, you are cursed. More than all cattle, more than every beast of the field, on your belly you shall go, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. Now, it's implied here that he wasn't on his belly before, so with this comes this, uh, you know, this creature that um, when most people see a snake and are not expecting it, what's the reaction? Ah! <laughs> Especially the gals. And um, you don't know if they're poisonous or the kind that aren't poisonous. And then it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Um, first of all, women don't have a seed, they have the egg. And we have um, a reference here that goes on to say the word he there is a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. Part of the curse on Satan is that Jesus is going to bruise your head. He's going to crush your head. But you are going to bruise his heel. It it says, and it implies in the New Testament, that... um, Lucifer didn't fully understand the resurrection. And he did everything in his power by entering Judas Iscariot to get Jesus killed, thinking that might be the end of it. But here, it clearly says that um, the bruising, actually I think that refers to the Romans beating him the way that they did. The, the bruising that, that, and you, the you there is Lucifer, will bruise his heel. There will be much suffering. Um, but he is a reference to the Lord Jesus. So the curse upon Lucifer is first mentioned in these verses here, that uh, he would eventually be defeated by the seed of the woman, which of course is a reference to the Virgin Mary being impregnated by the Holy Spirit. She was a virgin that conceived. Let's look at the curse upon the woman in verse 16. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow in your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Let's just look at this one for starters. The Lord told them to be fruitful, to multiply. And evidently, having um, children was no big deal. Just pop them right out. That's all there's to it. Well, ask any lady who's ever had a baby. She say, they'll tell you, that's not how it works. And um, the closer you get to birth, more intense are the birth pains until the moment of birth itself. And for you fathers who've been around your wives when they've 
been delivering children, you know, you're there uh, feeling the, the pain and the agony that they're going through. But it's an interesting, you know, to me it's interesting that you can go from such extreme pain to just see that smile on the mama's face as they hold that little baby. And it says they forget the pain almost immediately because of the joy of holding that precious little child. But evidently, uh, the curse on woman was, and the punishment, was with sorrow and pain you will bring forth your children. The second part of the curse, it says, uh, your desire shall be for your husband. That's a poor uh, translation. And I challenge you to be Bereans here because that's not what's being said. Um, Otherwise, the next sentence wouldn't make any sense at all. What it really says is that your desire shall be to rule over your husband, and then it says, and he shall rule over you. So what we have in the Bible here is part of the curse, and um, before I go any farther and before I misunderstood, let me read Galatians 3.28. Dwight, are you saying that men are better than women? Or they're not equal? No, but this is what the scripture says in Galatians 3.28 that there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. So it's not a matter of equality because um, uh, if you're in Jesus Christ, it's even across the board as far as the Lord is concerned about being a Christian. However, while we live, um, I'll be doing a wedding this Saturday, and um, part of the service, I talk about them coming down as two people. But when we pray at the end in the blessing, I say you were two, but now you're one. And these two become one flesh. Well, with one flesh, there is a difference between men and women, according to the scriptures. In 1 Corinthians 11, 9, it says that nor was man created for the woman, but the woman from the man. Remember that when the Lord made Adam from the dust of the earth? That's not how Eve was made. After Adam was made, Adam went into a deep sleep. And the Lord removed a rib from Adam, and he created Eve. Adam came from the dust, but Eve came from uh, Adam's rib. So in the, in the family structure, we have um, one head. And when I do this wedding this Saturday, I'll look at the groom, and I'll say, look, there's only one thing the scripture has to say to you. You're to love your wife as Jesus loved his church. And then I look at him, I say, you know that's impossible, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and then I usually tell them that with God's commandments are God's enablements. In other words, he wouldn't tell the husband to do that unless he would enable the husband to be able to do that. But I say in actuality, this can really only apply to a born-again believer because only when you have Jesus in you can you love like Jesus. Somebody can say amen to that. All right, and then I look to the gal. And I say, ladies, there's only one thing the Bible has to say to the ladies in marriage. 
Wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands as unto the Lord. I'll ask him, I said, do you remember when you gave your life to Jesus? Uh Uh-huh. Remember that you said that he's now the Lord of your life and that you have to submit yourself to him? Do you have to? No, I don't have to. Do you want to? Yeah, because he died for me. I'll gladly submit to him. Well, then this is what the scripture says. Wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands as unto the Lord. And these are the only two rules. And then I usually go to the parable of the sower, not the sower, uh, the one who built his house on a solid rock and one who built his house on the sand. The Bible says if you hear these words and do them, you'll be like a man who built his house on a rock. Storms are gonna come. And I tell them in marriage, storms are gonna come, saved or unsaved. Somebody wanna give me an amen on that one? (laughs) They're gonna come. But if you follow the two exhortations for marriage, that man is a man who built his house on a rock, you'll stand after the storm is over. But Jesus said, if you hear my words and you don't do them, then you're a fool because you're gonna be hit with the same storms and storms and sandy houses built on sand do not hold up too well. So the wise thing to do is just, you know, submit yourself to the Lord and, um, and just apply it practically. Let's look at what he has to say to the man in verse 17. To Adam, he says, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat, Cursed is a ground, there it is, the curse on the earth. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it will bring forth to you. And you shall eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you will eat your bread. Um, Here, Um, I'm going to have you turn to the book of Romans chapter 8. Give you a moment to get there. The curse placed upon the earth. Romans chapter 8. Let me draw your attention. Well, let's go back to verse 18 and work our way through this. Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation is eagerly waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. The earth is waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption. Why? because it was cursed. It didn't bring forth thorns and thistles before the the curse. Into the glorious liberty of the children of God, for we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. Now this is an interesting phrase, that the earth would groan. And it's actually waiting itself for us to be redeemed so that it too can be redeemed. Someday the lion's gonna lay down with the lamb. 
someday uh, your kids are going to play next to the viper's hole. They're not going to be afraid of the snake. And the curse will be removed and there won't be the thorns and the thistles. Those things um, creation is waiting for. Is the earth groaning right now? The West Coast is on fire. I was talking to um, uh, my friend Cress yesterday. East Coast, nonstop rain and flooding. It's major. They've never had anything quite like it before. Increase in earthquakes and hurricanes. And in Wisconsin, we have humidity. <laughs> and when you're working outside, it's a bummer. What else could I say? You know, it's just not comfortable. You know that the, the temperature is going to be at perfect 72 degrees all year round in the millennium? And no, I can't prove that from the Bible. <laughs> but I know that the lion's going to lay down with the lamb. And I know that the storms that we experience that destroys people's homes and so on and so forth, that's not happening anymore. Not during the millennial age. And the best part is our enemy is going to be locked up for that thousand, of, that thousand years as man once again lives under the perfect king in a perfect environment. And um, that's something that in Revelation it says that we are going to rule and reign with him for he's going to make us kings and priests during that period of time. That's why we read here that not only is the earth groaning, but if you look at verse 23, not only they, but we also of the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. I want to get a little sidetracked here and talk about groaning. Do you know that it's okay to groan? Do you know that most churches today are primed to pick you up and pump you up to make sure that you go out that door with a big smile on your face? But the fact of the matter is this morning we're having a Bible study on a curse. And I'm reading in my Bible that people are groaning. Do you know that it's okay to groan? I was working outside this week in this humidity and I came in and I was groaning, looking for the leaves. That's what I was looking for. Because my body can't do what it used to do. And I just want you to know, it's biblical to groan. Doesn't it say that the Holy Spirit makes intercessions for words because we have groans and sighs? The Holy Spirit could actually interpret your groans. Sometimes you just go, And the Holy Spirit knows exactly what that means. And he makes intercessions for us. You need to hear it from the pulpit. Groaning is biblical. And if we see some of the stuff taking place in this world and you're not groaning, then I have to wonder. Because there's so much garbage going on, it should grieve our spirit. In the same way that when Lot lived in Sodom and Gomorrah, the New Testament tells us his righteous soul was vexed daily. He shouldn't have been there in the first place, but he was. It was a gradual movement, the Bible says. He was out in, he, in the country, and little by little he made his way, and all of a sudden he's one of the leaders in the city. And he said his righteous soul was vexed because of uh, the sins of Sodom. By the way, what was the sin of Sodom? Everybody says, well, of course, it was homosexuality. That's not what the Bible says. The sin of Sodom was pride. Go ahead, check it out. 
Yes, sodomy and homosexuality were a part of it. But the real sin, according to the scriptures, was the pride. What was the first sin? Pride. It was Lucifer, the five eyes. And um, uh, that's why the Lord will not hide himself from a person who has a broken and contrite spirit, but he will resist the proud. So we're to walk humbly um, before our God, and he won't despise that. Let's go on and read. We have this hope of having this new body, and that in groaning, we're eagerly waiting for our adoption, for we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope, For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, then we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Gang, as the hour gets later and darker, um, Jesus said in Matthew 24, the generation that sees Israel come back, that's the beginning of sorrows, okay? That tells me that things are not going to get better things are going to get worse. There's a theology out there today that's called dominionism or kingdom now theology. Basically, it's the teaching that the church is going to evangelize the world, the earth will become Christian, and then and only then will Jesus come back. This contradicts what he says in Matthew 24. The Lord says, unless I do come back, it's going to be so bad that no flesh will be saved. So we have um, um, the need for perseverance as we see uh, what I like to call the finish line. This popped into my head during the first service and I wrestled with it. Should I let it out or not? Well, I let it out the first service, so why not let it out the second, right? I liken, uh, how many of you have been to a county fair and seen a tractor pull? You know what a tractor pull is? Uh, For you city dwellers or young guys that don't, have never seen a John Deere tractor before, let me explain it to you. You go to the county fair, and they have like a quarter of a mile stretch. They have this huge, souped up, powered up tractor. But it's got a long bed on it. And at the end of the bed is this huge weight. And that tractor takes off, and man, it's, it's taken off and it's going. But as it's going, this heavy weight is being, coming closer and closer to the front of the truck. And there's more and more weight being placed on until finally the, the, the tractor has to come to a grinding halt, even with all this power, and just because the weight is so much. I like liken living in the last days to a tractor pull. I think it's going to get more difficult. I think the weights and the pressures for not denying the faith, to not compromise with the word of God, there's going to be more and more pressure to do that. So I liken it to a tractor pull. And it just gets heavier. So what does it say here? Wait for it with perseverance. No looking back, no matter how hard it gets. Good place for an amen. We need perseverance. We need endurance. You guys need to to hear the truth that these are the beginnings of sorrows and your faith is gonna be tested in ways like maybe it's never been tested before. But know this, my Bible tells, says that's exactly what's gonna happen. So as we um, here see that the, 
the earth itself is under the curse, man is under a curse, woman's under the curse. What's God's answer for the curse? For that, we need to go to Galatians chapter three and look at verse 13. Galatians three, verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? Having become a curse for us, for it is written, there it is again, another prophecy, cursed who is everyone who hangs on a tree. That's Deuteronomy 21, 23. When Moses penned those words, this is what was the fulfillment of it. Jesus became a curse for us. Why? Verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. When Jesus became that curse and died for you and for me, the question arises, well, if Jesus died for the curse, then maybe some of you ladies are right now are thinking, it still hurts having babies, what's up with that? If the curse has been taken care of. And um, men still have to work by the sweat of their brow, uh, brow. And let me just talk a little bit about this because our generation is a little bit different. Um, I would say for a little more than 6,000, about 6,000 years, um, people worked the land. And when it means sweat, work by the sweat of your, your brow, I remember being at Grandpa's farm. My grandpa cleared 80 acres with a team of horses, cut the trees down with an ax, and then mom tells a story about being, going behind the horses and picking up stones. And I remember as a kid baling hay in August, those 80-pound bales, and then getting up, up into the, uh, second level uh, in, the, in the barn. That's sweat. <laughs> and yet most of us here don't identify with that because we live in a techie society. But let's face it, we're one of the first generations. Before that, it was mainly farm life. And um, that's not hundreds of years, that's thousands of years. So we shouldn't misunderstand that the curse still applies to us and um, we still have farmers. I said hi to a couple of them after the first service. I said, you're one of the rare ones here. When I shake a farmer's hand, I can always tell it's a farmer's hand because it's bigger than mine and it's got a lot of calluses on it. And I said, that's a farmer's hand. <laughs> this is a Dwight hand right here. <laughs> not as big, not as strong. But, um, you know, the curse is still there. You give your wife's roses for their anniversary, there's still thorns on them. And um, we see this, the, the curse is still here. Well, the title is called Under the Curse Slash Until. Let's go to the until part. Turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter two. Look at verse eight. This is talking about the time when the Lord will have everything put under his feet. And then it says, for in that he put all in subjection under him, 
He left nothing that is not put under him. Now notice what it says. But now we do not see all things yet put under him. What do we see? Well, we still see women having problems with delivering babies. Men still have to work by the sweat of their brow. There's still thorns and thistles that are there. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. And there is coming a time when the kingdom will come, when these things will be removed. But verse eight clearly says, but now we do not yet see that. Implying that we're going to see it, but not yet. There is an until. We're living during the until part. Uh, All things will be put under him. And in men's prayer yesterday, we were talking about, um, we're in in Exodus. We had three chapters, and all three chapters were about the unbelievable detail in setting up the Levitical priesthood. And it talked about, in such detail, what the high priest Aaron's gown would look like from his crown to his clothing, what color it had to be. And his main responsibility as high priest would be to make intercession for the people. He would go into the Holy of Holies, um, Yom Kippur this year is in September. And I always ask my Jewish friends this, um, how do you guys celebrate Yom Kippur? And they said, well, you know, we don't have the temple, so we, what we do is we, um, we do a day of fasting, we, we reflect on the things that we did wrong, that we should have done right. And I asked my Jewish friends this, yes, but there's one problem. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. And when we were reading in detail yesterday what Aaron's responsibilities were as high priest, he was to take and dip his hand in blood, and he just put it on the high priest's right ear. And then he was put it on his big right toe, implying that you needed to be covered with blood, again, without the shedding of blood. Then he would enter into the Holy of Holies and make atonement and intercession for the people, and only the high priest could do this. Now, then it tells us that after Aaron would die, his clothing would be passed down to his sons, and then his sons would have his high priest's clothes passed down from generation to generation. All right, imagine being Jewish, and now imagine Jesus coming and doing away with the old covenant and establishing a new one. How are you gonna explain this to the Jewish people who are so ingrained with what they know about the law and the Torah. That's what chapter eight is about, so just go over there. I got a little bit of time because believe it or not, we're almost through here. Go go to chapter eight. We did this yesterday at men's prayer. Here Paul is explaining to the Hebrews that there was problems with the Levitical priesthood. First of all, if you were a priest, you couldn't be a king. It was one or the other. And if you were of the tribe of Levi, we call it the Levitical priesthood because you had to be a Levite in order to be a priest. But we read here that Jesus is not a high priest after the order of the Levites, 
Uh, let's pick it up in verse 17. Uh, quoting Psalm 110, here's another prophecy. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now it's a reference to Jesus. And we read about this guy, Melchizedek. He was the king and the priest of Salem, which became Jerusalem. But you can't be a priest and a king at the same time. Then it tells us about this guy, um, Melchizedek, that he had no genealogy. He had no father, he had no mother. Well, it can only be what we call a Christophanes, an Old Testament appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, how can you be so sure of that? Well, it's interesting to me uh, the things that were presented that he came out. He came out with wine and bread. Uh, What are we gonna do next week, the first Sunday of the month? We're gonna remember who? Jesus, and how are we gonna remember him? With wine and with bread. No beginning, no end, and Abraham tithed to him because he was greater. Now, in trying to explain this to people who are embedded in custom and religion, why Jesus is a better high priest, not after the order, read verse 18, for on the one hand, there's the annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness, because the priest kept on dying. He says, but now, go down to verse 25, Um, verse 22, by so much more, Jesus has become a, a better covenant And there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing, but he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he ever lives to make intercession for us. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separated from sinners, and because it became higher than the heavens, and this is a very important verse 27, who does not need daily. We read yesterday that a lamb had to be killed in the morning and a lamb had to be sacrificed in the evening. But here it says he does not need a daily sacrifice as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's For this he did once for all. If you don't have anything down underlined in your Bible, would you do that once for all? When Jesus said the work is done, to tell us die, it is finished, it's over. It never has to be repeated again. That's one of the problems I have with the Catholic Mass. And that is every Sunday they have a sacrifice where the priest Transforms, it's called transubstantiation. He transforms a a wafer, and he says this is literally the body of Jesus. And then he takes the the cup, and he says this is literally Jesus' blood. Well, if you know anything about Judaism, that is a big no-no. That was one thing that they were completely forbidding to do, to have anything to do with the drinking of blood. So, Um, This is for my Jewish friends uh, because they uh, are so, the book of Hebrews is absolutely essential when it comes to understanding uh, the changeover 
Jesus was Jewish. All the disciples, the early church, were all Jews. All right. Um, God's answer to the curse. Let's go back to Matthew 27. Sometimes I say for every New Testament teaching, we have an Old Testament picture. I'm going to turn it around this morning as we close up our study. And we'll go back to verse 29. Because what we have here is a New Testament picture of an Old Testament curse. When they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. The soldiers were mocking Jesus. Gang, they had no idea what they were doing. They were, they were showing, literally, um, a picture of exactly what happened when God cursed the earth. What does it say? He cursed the earth and it brought forth thorns. So what did they do? They make a crown of thorns and they place it on Jesus' head. It's a picture. It's a picture of the curse, the sins of the world literally being placed upon Jesus. That's what the gospel's all about. My sin, your sin, was placed on Jesus and that's when the father had to turn away. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He had to. Why? Because the sin of the world was being placed literally on Jesus. Soldiers didn't have a clue that they were actually acting out one of the most dramatic demonstrations of what's taking place in, in picture form. And it goes beyond words. I mean, what, what can we say to these things? Well, that's exactly what Paul says in Romans 8, and this is where we'll close this morning. Dwight, you said that twice already. I know, but we're going to close it up here. Romans 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? What things? Oh, the wonder of the gospel, that the curse was placed upon me, but instead he became a curse for us so that we could have his righteousness and he, we would take, he would take our sins. What can we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? And if he did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore, he is risen, who is even at the right hand of God, and who makes intercession for us. That's what we just read in Hebrews. He continually lives to intercede on our behalf. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. Notice, as it is written, another prophecy. For your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And Paul says, I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor thing presence, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. With a Bible study talking about a curse, I sure like the way that it ends. Nothing ever created in this universe 
can separate you from God's love for you. And again, remember, you're special to him. You're special because there's only one of you. And because there's only one of you, you're extremely valuable to him. And um, his thoughts towards you, my Bible says, are more than the sands of the sea. Next time you're wondering about if God loves you or not, just pick up a handful of sand, sort of let it just drift through, and realize that that's just one grain of sand of all the grains of sand on this planet. And that's how much he thinks about you and me. He even cares about the number and counts the number of hairs on your head. For some of you out there, it's a pretty easy count. (laughs) I thought I'd leave it on a light note. Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, as we look at your word this morning and we consider your goodness, but the reality is the curse that has been placed upon men, that causes us to groan from time to time. Lord, we're so grateful that you did it all and when you said it was finished, that it was finished, and that someday everything is gonna be put under your feet and you will come back and rule as King of kings and Lord of lords. We groan for that day, Lord, and we, it truly is our blessed hope. Thank you for the hope that you've placed inside us. Please give us the endurance and perseverance in these last days to never be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In your name I pray, amen.